I'm David Feldman. We're doing three, three podcasts this week. I've added an extra episode for Wednesday. This is episode 1408. What does 1408 mean? Well, that means it's season 14, and 08 means it's the eighth episode of our 14th season. For the past couple of years, I've always dropped a new episode at 3 a.m. on Tuesday morning and 3 a.m. on Friday morning. That hasn't changed. I'm also occasionally now dropping episodes in the middle of the week. So if you're listening to this episode, it's 1408, 1407 dropped early Tuesday morning, and 1409 will drop at 3 a.m. on Friday. All times are Eastern. If you're having any confusion and you think you might have missed an episode, go to my website and you can keep track of all the new episodes coming out. And while you're over at my website, it's davidfeldmanshow.com, while you're over there, please sign up for my newsletter. I also make myself available to all the listeners by holding office hours every Friday night. We're going to do it at 6 p.m. this Friday in order to accommodate our European friends. So... This Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, we're holding office hours. If you have any suggestions, complaints, if you just want to talk to me, I make myself available every Friday night for about 90 minutes, and then the community takes over. You need Zoom. We hold office hours on Zoom. And in order to get the link, go to my website and hit the office hours menu. I've also put the link in the description to this episode. And if you sign up for my newsletter, it also includes the link for office hours. Remember, we're starting at 6 p.m. this Friday to accommodate our European friends who are such a big part of office hours. On today's program, Dr. Harriet Fraud is back. She's a psychotherapist who filters our emotional problems through the prism of the economic system we're traumatized by each day. Sometimes it's not your parents. In fact, most likely it's capitalism that is making you sick in the head. I've spent the past two weeks helping a friend do open enrollment for Obamacare. And I would say uh, signing up for Obamacare is a medical condition. I have, I'm getting sick just signing up for Obamacare. Moving on. Professor Mike Steinel is back, and he's got new music. Stay with me. Alrighty. Okay. Alrighty then. <laughs> All right. Wow. Republican Kevin McCarthy is our new speaker, and he's had a busy couple of days. When he's not threatening to crash the world economy by refusing to raise the debt ceiling, he's rewarding pathological liar and Congressman George Santos with seats on the Small Business Committee, as well as science, space and technology. Let that be a lesson to anyone thinking of taking illegal campaign contributions from Russian oligarchs and lying every time you open your mouth. There's a home for you inside the Republican Party. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is the third ranking member of the Republican House leadership. That used to be Liz Cheney's old job, but Kevin McCarthy and the other Republicans in the House decided to get rid of Liz Cheney last year 
because she wouldn't let go of this. Elise Stefanik, who, while attending Harvard, tooled around Cambridge and Boston in the BMW her rich father purchased for her, Elise Stefanik was a never-Trumper until opportunistic infection that she is became an always-Trumper, and she blames January 6th on Nancy Pelosi. So now this vial of undiluted ambition, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, is part of the Republican leadership. And she held a press conference proudly announcing some of the major achievements of this brand new 118th Congress that's only a few days old. Yesterday, we passed the most member-driven and transparent rules package in history and finally ended Democrats' authoritarian reign on our nation's capital. Finally ended the Democrats' authoritarian reign. It's the Democrats who are the the authoritarians. The Democrats' authoritarian reign. That is the GOP's M.O. Always accuse Democrats of what the GOP is. I'm amazed that Elise Stefanik didn't accuse the Democrats of all being Elise Stefanik. The GOP is the party of authoritarians, but nobody wants to admit that, so call Democrats the authoritarians, even though it's not true. It makes no sense because I have seen no evidence of authoritarian rule coming from the Democrats. So Elise Stefanik, could you please explain what you mean? We restored and fully opened the People's House. Okay, I'm still not quite sure what you're talking about. The Democrats in the House, when they were in charge, had closed the Capitol. Kevin McCarthy, you're the speaker. Can you please speak to this? The first thing we did on the first day was open the people's house back to the people. You know, Nancy Pelosi wasn't allowing the public to come in. Now you can come in and watch and hear the debates. Oh, now I get it. Nancy Pelosi made it hard for American citizens to come into the Capitol because of that little thing that happened. I keep forgetting. What was that called? Nancy Pelosi closed the Capitol over something as piddling as that. January 6th, she was a drama queen. A few rowdy tourists talking too loudly and threatening to hang the vice president while ransacking the office Kevin McCarthy now occupies, right? So Nancy Pelosi went ahead and tightened security all because of a couple, a handful of loud tourists doing this. Grow a pair already, Nancy. A little horseplay on January 6th that only injured hundreds of Capitol Police officers, resulting in the death of five people, 
and you close the people's house over that? Well, thankfully, Nancy Pelosi is gone, and there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Marshall McCarthy, and he's reopened the Capitol. Come on in. And not only that, bring your gun to work day is now every day. We, we took, took away, away the magnetometers of members going onto the floor. <laughs> he took away the magnetometers. Those uh, check for guns, you know, and, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi made Congress people walk through magnetometers. What an invasion of their privacy looking for guns. Members of Congress should always be locked and loaded because, you know, too often words fail them. And there are other ways to communicate, like, you know, with the thing that the magnetometer won't let you bring in. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi, she wouldn't let members of Congress bring their guns onto the floor of the House, all because the same exact Republican members of Congress who wanted to bring guns into the Capitol were the same identical members of Congress who sided with these people. As I said, there's a new pilot flying the plane, and he's letting members of Congress take off their seatbelts. 118th Congress, you are now free to wander around the cabin and smoke, smoke if you want. Yes, members of Congress can now smoke inside the building again. Isn't that great? When evil Nancy Pelosi became speaker, she banned smoking in the Capitol for many reasons, including smoking is banned in all federal buildings in Washington, D.C., except the Capitol, because Congress doesn't have to obey the laws. So Nancy Pelosi figured Congress should obey the same laws as everybody else when it comes to smoking. Not when it comes to your husband amassing a $200 million fortune on insider trading based on information that Nancy Pelosi gleans from privileged testimony. That law Congress doesn't have to obey. But smoking in the Capitol, that she banned. And Kevin McCarthy, now that he's speaker, said, hey, if you want to smoke, go ahead. And some people, especially Democrats, are upset. Apparently, there are people who think breathing in cigar smoke might be dangerous. But is it? How do we know? Is tobacco really dangerous? We're hearing a lot of Democrats saying tobacco is dangerous. But is it? Do we have evidence? I don't know. Luckily, Tucker Carlson from Fox News is on the case, and he decided to investigate this. I mean, the Democrats are upset about this new stench of cigar smoke in the Capitol, which begs the question. So, so you, you have, have to, to kind of wonder, wonder why, why is tobacco so dangerous? Yeah, yeah you have to kind of wonder why is tobacco so dangerous? I mean, Democrats keep saying 
tobacco is dangerous. They don't want people smoking. But what's so dangerous about tobacco? So I'm glad Tucker Carlson asked that question because I know he's a smoker or at least used to smoke. So we should probably get to the bottom of this. Is tobacco dangerous? Have there been studies that we can trust that suggest tobacco could be bad for humans? Please go on, Tucker. Well, we, we thought we would ask a member of Congress who uses it, who smokes an occasional cigar. Troy Nels. Troy Nels. Troy Nels, who smokes an occasional cigar. He, uh, as you can see, he's got three right now in his breast pocket. Looks like an occasional cigar smoker. I met Troy. He's a proud graduate of Liberty University. Liberty University, very religious man. And uh, so any graduate of Liberty University, well, you know, he's all about moderation. So he just smokes a little. So let's get to the bottom of this, Tucker, with graduate of Liberty University, Congressman Troy Nell. Grateful uh, that you're here, willing to stand up for the most American of all pleasures, which is tobacco. Sorry to say it is true. It founded the country. The most American of all pleasures it founded the country. Yes, this country was founded on tobacco. Yes, and uh, so was enslaving Africans, which Tucker considers to be the most American of pleasures, enslaving Africans. Well, continue, O oh great white supremacist, with your black lungs. Tell us why it's important for you to burn a cigar occasionally in your office. Well, thank you for having me, Tucker. It's all about freedom. I'm sorry, uh, smoking cigars and cigarettes, it's all about what? It's, what? it's all about freedom. Really, smoking a cigar is all about freedom. Freedom to do what? Give yourself cancer of the jaw? Freedom to give your children lung cancer and asthma and heart disease from all the secondhand cigar smoke? Is that the freedom you're talking about? This, this is typical from the left. They, they want to infringe on our rights. They want to complain about our smoke. They're probably complaining about maybe my aftershave or the color of my tie. It doesn't, it doesn't end. Uh, the color of your tie. Okay, I'm having a little trouble here complaining about the color of your tie. Can, can we zoom in here for a second? Uh, nope, I, I still don't see any tie to complain about. Nope. Uh, he said liberals like me want to complain about the color of his tie, but I can't see it a little closer. No, I still can't see Congressman Troy Nell's tie uh, closer. No, can't see it. Nope, still can't see it. Can we get even closer? Uh, there we go. Uh, well, no, no tie. Wait, I do see something. It, no, it's not a tie. It's three flies. Uh, one fly is riding the other fly doggy style while the other fly is watching, but still no tie. Hmm. Interesting. Wait, wait. One fly is riding the other fly while the other one watches. And Troy Nell's graduated from Liberty University. Why does that sound familiar? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, right, 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 right. Jerry Falwell Jr. 
used to be the head of Troy Nell's alma mater, Liberty University, until it was discovered that Jerry Falwell liked to watch while a pool boy stupped his wife. So these three flies, see the two fornicating, that's the pool boy, and Mrs. Jerry Falwell is taking it from the pool boy, and the fly watching and rubbing his junk, that's Jerry Falwell Jr. I see. I'm glad we we zeroed in on that. Well, no tie, but several flies from Liberty University hovering around Congressman Troy Nels because flies love horseshit, and that's what Congressman Troy Nels is completely full of. It's all about freedom. Yes, it's all about freedom, like the freedom of the former head of your alma mater, Jerry Falwell Jr., to watch while his wife gets stupped by the pool boy. Yes, it's all about freedom, Congressman, the freedom to poison your surroundings. That's how Republicans define freedom. They want the freedom to stink up the planet, and then they dare you to complain about it. The Republican Party has become a death cult. If it kills people, Republicans are for it. Cigars, cigarettes, oil, plastics in our drinking water, and of course, guns. Anything that will kill you or themselves, Republicans are for it because they love money more than they love themselves or their own children. It's not about freedom. It's about greed. Troy, Congressman Troy Nails, the Republicans, they all take money from the tobacco industry to deny the incontrovertible evidence that tobacco, those cigars in your breast pocket, are killing you and everyone around you. Yes, they all take money from the oil companies to deny climate change is real. They take money from the NRA to deny that guns are the leading cause of gun deaths. And they take money from tobacco companies to smoke cigars and dare people to ask them not to. Congressman Troy Nels, Nels graduated from Liberty University. He wakes up every morning feeling guilty and lousy about who he is and what he is. He wants, I think he wants to shuffle off this mortal coil so he can get into that gated community of white Christian nationalists up in heaven. I met this guy and he chain smokes cigars all day because he wants to meet Jesus and he wants to kill everyone around him. Troy is also an election denier who voted against certifying the election for Joe Biden on January 6, even though he himself helped barricade the doors on January 6 and almost got killed by the insurrectionists. He still defends the insurrectionists like the cancer-causing cigars in his breast pocket. That's the mind of a militant Republican cigar smoker like Congressman Troy Nels. He defends the thing that's killing him 
and us. He'll defend cigars. He will smoke those cigars, even though they're killing him. And he will defend the insurrectionists, even though they almost killed him personally on January 6th. That's who Troy Nels is. That's who his Republican Party is. They won't be satisfied until they've destroyed everything. I'm David Feldman, and this is The Mop Up. Do you smoke? What do you think of men who smoke cigars? This is a serious question. What do you think of Republicans like Congressman Troy Nell who smoke cigars, who adamantly, ferociously slobber over cigars? Now, here's the thing. I don't think they're kissing women or anyone. What do you think? I think there's something weird about Republican men and their cigars. This guy, Troy Nell, he graduated from Jerry Falwell's Liberty University. So, you know, he thinks sex is dirty and, you know, he's against same sex marriage because he's been born and bred to be homophobic. Yet he's busy sticking these lit phallic symbols in his mouth and sucking away on them as though that's the height of hetero machismo. And yet there isn't a woman on the planet who would kiss a man who reeks of cigar, let alone possessing cigar breath. I am positive that Republican men like Congressman Troy Nell, who smoke cigars, are closet cases. They are choosing penis substitutes over women. Who is kissing Troy Nell with that rancid cigar breath? He doesn't want to be kissed or kiss any woman. He's pushing them away with his rancid cigar breath. And yet this is the party of the homophobes, the ones sticking and slobbering over uh, these phallic symbols in their mouth. Let me know what you think in the comments section. Would you ever kiss a man with a cigar stank on his breath? When is the last time Congressman Troy Nell kissed a woman? I don't think real heterosexual men smoke cigars. I think Republican men like Congressman Troy Nell smoke cigars because he's pushing women away because he doesn't know what to do with a woman because his penis don't work. I want to know when Congressman Troy Nell last open mouth kissed a woman with that mouth of his that smells like a plumber's stink finger. Let me know what you think in the comments section down below. I read all the comments and try to respond to those comments that don't violate our community guidelines. We have a little community and it's growing. And uh, so I read all the comments wherever you're watching or listening to this. And please join our community. Please come to office hours every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. I make myself available to all my listeners for the first 90 minutes and then the community takes over. But for the first 90 minutes, we can talk about whatever you want. The community then takes over with lectures and music and, and conversations. So please check it out.
Well, I was talking about cigar smoke. Republicans love spewing toxins into the air, whether it's cigar smoke or gas from their stoves. Scientists for years have known that gas ovens, gas stoves, are bad for the environment because they spew methane into the atmosphere, which is perhaps the most stubborn of all greenhouse gases. Gas stoves also produce nitrogen dioxide, and when you cook with a gas stove, you are releasing dangerous carcinogenic chemicals into the air inside your home, the air you and your children breathe. Gas stoves cause respiratory illness in children and cancer in adults. That's a fact. You don't want a gas stove in your home. And that is why, earlier this month, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission said they are considering regulating gas stoves with the possibility of eventually banning them. Nobody should be burning gas inside their home. But Republicans, well, they love anything that poisons the air. It could be cigar smoke, or in this case, gas, methane, especially since the oil companies donate so much money to their campaigns in return for their denying that climate change is man-made. For example, Congressman Mike Garcia, He's a Republican representing California's 27th Congressional District. And last week, he responded to the threat of regulating gas stoves. He responded in a perfectly sane and reasonable manner by tweeting this. Imagine a world where all tortillas are heated in the microwave. This is not something from The Onion, and he's being serious. We must take a stand against this insanity. What insanity? Your own? I will be joining my colleagues this week to introduce legislation that stops the stove war from happening. Incredible, right? Then there's Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who's a Democrat. A Democrat who takes more money from the oil industry than any other member of Congress. And Joe Manchin loves gas. And as you can see from this picture, Joe Manchin loves gas so much, instead of smiling at strangers, he prefers making long and wet farting noises. Here's his tweet. This is Senator Joe Manchin's tweet. This is a recipe for disaster. The federal government has no business telling American families how to cook their dinner. I can tell you the last thing that would ever leave my house is the gas stove that we cook on. Okay. Republican Congressman Dr. Ronnie Jackson also weighed in. He was President Donald Trump's personal physician in the White House, until it was discovered he was abusive towards women, drank too much, and overprescribed uppers and downers to the Trump staffers. And so he could no longer be Trump's personal physician. He had no choice. What do you do when you're a disgraced doctor? 
you move back to Texas and run for Congress as a Republican. And as a Republican doctor, he took the Republican Hippocratic Oath to support anything that kills humans. Here he is over the summer brandishing two AR-15s, delivering a message to Joe Biden, who was threatening to bring back the old assault weapons ban. Hey, everybody, this is Congressman Ronnie Jackson from the great state of Texas. I have a message for the Biden administration. If you're thinking about taking our ARs, you can start here in Texas. On behalf of all the law-abiding gun owners in the state of Texas, I just want to say, come and get it. That would be Republican doctor, Donald Trump's personal physician, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, brandishing two AR-15s. Dr. Jackson took to Twitter to deliver his professional medical opinion on regulating gas stoves. He wrote, I'll never give up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come for my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Uh, I don't know. If you've got cold, dead hands, it sounds like he's got cold, dead hands because anybody who wants to take away his gun, they have to pry it from his cold, dead hands. And now... If you want to take away his stove, we have to pry that from his cold, dead hands. Uh, you should get that looked at. You should get your cold, dead hands looked at, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, uh, as well as your cold, dead stare. Well, that's Ronnie, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. And then there's Mercedes Schlapp. She's a former lobbyist for the National Rifle Association and, you know, she's a good Christian conservative married to Matt Schlapp. And the two of them, Mercedes Schlapp and Matt Schlapp, Mercedes and Matt, or as I call them, M&M. M&M, Mercedes and Matt, M&M. But not the woke M&M that now features all females. That's offensive. I don't know if you've been following this, but the conservatives are really pissed off at the company that makes M&Ms because they're manufacturing these new all-female M&Ms that are woke and all about empowering women and conservatives are boycotting M&Ms. So, you know, M&M, Matt, Matt and Mercedes, I call them M&M, they wouldn't support uh, these woke M&Ms uh, because Matt Schlapp is the chairman of the American Conservative Union and he would not approve of all female M&Ms because he is all man. Matt Schlapp is all man. He runs CPAC. That's the Conservative Political Action Committee. And he's all about strong, heterosexual, masculine men. Anyway, as a good conservative Christian woman, Matt Schlapp's wife, Mercedes, she decided to weigh in on the whole gas stove controversy. And Mercedes Schlapp tweeted, I'm keeping my gas stove. Mercedes Schlapp announced that she's keeping her gas stove. Yeah, Mercedes is keeping her gas stove because it's the only thing in her home she's able to turn on. Yeah, sounds like there's a problem with the schlaps. Mercedes 
maybe has a little problem turning on Matt Schlapp, the head of CPAC. So she's keeping her gas stove because that she can turn on. You see, there's been some reporting on this. I told you last week, Matt Schlapp was in Georgia back in October helping out on the Herschel Walker campaign. And a male staffer in his 30s was assigned to drive Matt Schlapp around. And this male staffer has now come forward accusing Matt Schlapp of grabbing, uh, let's call it the staffer's cigar, right? Right. He was uh, he grabbed uh, the staffer's cigar really hard and um, try to smoke it. Let's let's say that. Uh, here is Jamie Gangell from CNN, who's been reporting on this. Staffer text Schlapp to inform him he's not going to drive him. He says, I did want to say I was uncomfortable with what happened last night. The campaign does have a driver who's available to get you to Macon and back to the airport. According to phone records we've reviewed, Schlapp tries to call him a couple of times. Then a few hours later, he sends the following text message. If you could see it in your heart to call me at the end of the day, I would appreciate it. If not, I wish you luck on the campaign and hope you keep up the good work. All right. That sounds harmless. I I don't see anything wrong with that. We also obtained a brand new text message exchange that's being made public for the first time. Okay, that can't be good. And the new text exchange that CNN and the rest of the world has now seen is an exchange between the staffer who Matt Schlapp allegedly uh, tried to, uh, well, anyway, the staffer wrote to the acquaintance uh, via text. This is the staffer. He's pissed I didn't follow him to his hotel room. And uh, the acquaintance says, well, that guy's a, can you see? Yeah, that guy's a creep. I'm so sorry, man. What a effing creep. And then the staffer says, I just don't know how to say it to my superiors that their surrogate fondled my junk, his junk being his cigar, without my consent. Well, that's why would he do that? Why would he why would Matt Schlapp fondle another man's cigar? without consent. It's all about freedom. Yeah, it's all about freedom to play with another man's cigar, even though we don't approve of men playing with each other's cigars. Well, Matt Schlapp, conservative family man that he is, denies that he made a homosexual man-on-man, penis-on-penis sexual pass on the staffer's cigar. He's denying it. And uh, yesterday, the staffer announced that he has decided to sue Matt Schlapp. On Tuesday, the political aide has decided to sue Matt Schlapp and Mercedes Schlapp. This is getting ugly for the Schlapps. Matt Schlapp has been schlapped with a nearly $10 million lawsuit. Matt Schlapp has been schlapped with a nearly $10 million lawsuit. Uh, 
Part of that suit accuses Mercedes Schlapp and Matt Schlapp of defaming the character of the staffer. They allegedly, according to the lawsuit, started to spread lies about the staffer after he came forward and said that Matt Schlapp tried to smoke his cigar. Uh, They went ahead and said he was a troubled individual. They called him a liar and they accused him of not being able to hold down a job so he's suing the Schlaps for $10 million. He slapped the Schlaps with a $10 million lawsuit. The New York Times is reporting that the American Conservative Union, which Matt Schlapp is in charge of, the American uh, Conservative Union supports Matt Schlapp. This is from the New York Times. Charlie Giroux and Caroline Meadows, vice chairs of the American Conservative Union and members of the group's board of directors, Charlie Giroux and Caroline Meadows said in a statement after the allegations were first published that, quote, they stand squarely behind Matt Schlapp. Isn't that sweet? Charlie Giroux and Carolyn Meadows over at the American Conservative Union said they stand, they quote, stand squarely behind Matt Schlapp. And I'm sure if Charlie and Caroline were in the same position, Matt Schlapp would stand behind you, Charlie and Carolyn. Although I have a feeling Matt would prefer standing behind Charlie not Caroline, because it's all about freedom. Keep sucking on those cigars, you big, tough, heterosexual Republican men. Joining us is Dr. Harriet Fraud. She is the co-host of It's Not Just In Your Head, Capital Hits Home. That's another podcast. Capitalism Hits Home. Capitalism Hits Home. And interpersonal relations? Interpersonal Interpersonal update update has been moved to Tuesday nights at 6.30 starting next Tuesday on WBAI. Great. I want to talk about inflation with you, but first, let's talk about good news. Yeah, it's really good news in New York City. I guess it was 16,000 nurses went on strike last week and they got what they wanted. They got a 19% pay raise. And they got, they went from as many as 15 patients to one nurse, which means that people could just die, Mm -hmm. to four patients to one nurse. They changed the nurse-patient ratios because administrators had been getting richer and richer while the nurses who were on the floor were leaving and leaving more and more nurses with huge overloads and the hospital wouldn't listen. So Mount Sinai has all sorts of locations that in Montefiore went on strike and they won. They had a four day strike and they won their demands. So that's really good news. And the TAs out in California at Berkeley, their union got recognized and that was settled. They did well. well. They had 48,000 people on strike in the University of California system. And they tried to settle with some of them like student TAs and so on before others, but they all held out and now they've all won. And some of them got as much as a 50% raise. 
because they were being terribly underpaid. Fantastic. So that's the good news, that there's an incipient realization of class, that there's two classes, the employer class and the employed class, and the employed class better catch on because inflation is eating them up alive. Right. And before, before we get to wages. before we get to inflation, there is a phenomenon now of baby boomers leaving the job market, even though they don't have enough money. They some the, the gift of covid was, you know what? Maybe I don't need this. Forget it. Yeah. Forget it. You, I now see what capitalism does to my soul. And the baby boomers, children and grandchildren look at their parents and say, you're telling me to define myself by my job. Look how you look at you. Look at how look at look at what defining yourself by a job did for you. Young people. They don't def- they don't fall prey to this. No, and that's why Pete's now wants a union contract. They've unionized and are wanting to be recognized. And Starbucks is already, they have never gotten a contract because Starbucks holds out, but right. they're unionized. It's, it's amazing. Right. Also, the American dream is dead. The idea that you could, if you worked hard and you were white and in a family headed by a male, each generation could do better than the previous one. That's not true anymore. Right, right. So people aren't having kids on one end. They're dying earlier on the other. There's a whole collapse here. And Mm -hmm. out of it may come a better system, as it did in Brazil and Chile and Colombia and even in France is happening. But a collapse is, is happening. Right. People can't buy it. Because it's a lie. Yeah. Horatio Alger, rags to riches. He was a child molester. It's always, <laughs> right? That was, people, <laughs> they leave that out of the uh, The great the story. story. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah. is there is some good news on the inflation front. The pace at which prices rose in December was 6.5%. That was the smallest increase in more than a year. Uh, inflation seems to be heading down, but 6.5% is a lot compared to what it was when Trump first took office. I mean, it was bouncing around anywhere between 1.5% to 2.5%. Now it's 6.5%. What effect is inflation having on people? Well, it has a huge effect, first of all, even in 19. 20 to 21, 56% of Americans didn't have $500 in an emergency. They, so if a tooth broke that morning over breakfast, or if they got in a fender bender and needed to pay a big fine, or if they got falsely or truly arrested and they needed a lawyer, too bad. You're talking about before inflation, like going before, back four, like four years ago. That's yeah. right. Right. And so that this drives people over an edge so that now one in five children is hungry, has what they call food insecurities, which we know as hunger. Mm-hmm. Homelessness is way up. And people are driven over an edge. And so that 
what this inflation has done is taken people's lousy wages and gutted them further. And so there's desperation and that people are desperate and you can see it, you know, just in the same day yesterday or at least this week, a uh, 12-year-old stabbed her nine-year-old brother to death. A um, first grader, a six-year-old shot his teacher in the stomach in first grade. And you can see that people are just losing it because things that held them together, the idea that we're in it together, which we're obviously not, billionaires wildly increased their wealth over the pandemic while most people suffered. And it's falling apart because the hope and dream and belief are falling apart. And so that unless people have strong relationships and strong ideological ideas of what's going on and what they can do about it, they're just desperate and falling apart. So that's what's happening. And the good part of what's happening is some people are realizing we better fight back, like all these striking workers, whether they are the TAs at Yale that are organized, or you know, workers that didn't used to think they needed to, like the workers at the Chicago Art Institute, or at Pete's Coffee, or at Starbucks Coffee. I mean, everywhere you look around, people are realizing we have to get together and defend ourselves. And that's really appropriate on Martin Luther King's day, because right. he said the best way to integrate, the best way to change America is to unionize. And he was killed when he was there defending the sanitation workers. Right. Right. He was shot to death. So that, you know, that is a, that's economic recognition of a class system in which you have to get together to fight. And so that that's a positive thing that's happening as the empire falls, the United States is failing, and uh, we've lost the last three wars. And now we have this proxy war in the Ukraine, which is going beautifully if you listen only to American media. But if you listen to more impartial voices, well, they're losing, of course. Russia is right. much bigger and more powerful. And we've gotten to sell a lot of weapons and weapons manufacturers are pleased. But it's and there's an inflation in the whole world because Russian oil was cheap. And if you have to pay more for energy, then you have to pay more for everything. Of course, America has enough energy, enough natural gas and oil, but they're not going to be held back from their profits. So ExxonMobil made 17 point something billion. So did Chevron and the others because they want to keep prices up and they'll sell they'll sell abroad if they can get more money. Right. You know, and right. so that there's a sense of no protection here. And workers feel like I better protect myself by quiet quitting, doing only what's absolutely necessary to keep my job, or by quitting altogether that there's a sense that the system isn't going to protect you. You've got to do it either together as a union or individually by opting out. And right. those signs are everywhere. When I was younger, we heard the term class consciousness. 
And I want to ask you what that means, because I've noticed visiting friends. We stayed with some friends uh, this weekend and one of the couple doesn't have class consciousness. They're still watching mainstream media <laughs> and it it's so hollow and it's reinforcing things that no longer exist. Like mm -hmm. we were watching a medical drama together on television and they had a crusading doctor and <laughs> he, was, he was running the hospital and he was breaking all the rules, but they never scratched deep enough to talk about insurance companies and these for-profit, these non-profit hospitals that are making yes. a profit. It was just scratching, uh, you know, the surface and one man can make a difference. And it's just absolute bullshit. I'm watching this couple and they're moved by it and they believe this bullshit that one man in a hospital can change everything. That is hollower and hollower. Yes. And you either you have two choices. You you watch you don't watch that because it's bullshit or you torture yourself by watching it and believing in it. And then the insanity that the, then insanity sets in because you keep expecting those results and they're impossible. It's, that's a fiction foisted upon us by Hollywood or by MSNBC. So without class consciousness, you're doomed. You are. To, insa to insanity, to insanity, right? In this class divided society in which the top 1% owns about 80% of the wealth, you better be class conscious. You better understand that if you work for a living, you're going to have a very different struggle from the struggle of a person who owns the premises and more and more is owned. And so that you'd better combine with the others who actually do the labor. One of the things that I, and I'm an educated lady, I have a doctorate and a postdoc. I never had a labor history class. The only reason I know that when I look out my window, every building was built by labor. Every right. lawn was planted by labor is because my father taught me, but not because I learned it in school. A consciousness of the contribution of workers, the working class, the people who make everything possible has been excised from our consciousness. And so that people watch delusional television and they've got to be confronted when they leave the television set Let's say they saw that nice doctor drama. Then they go and get medical care. They get totally socked for their medical care. They have a huge, if they had insurance, they have a huge copay. And uh, they can't get an appointment. And certainly no doctor is going to come over to their house. Right. And it takes forever to get a, an appointment. And the charges are ridiculous. Wow. That's. You know, that's another era, that noble doctor. Residents are now organizing medical because they're getting screwed otherwise. That everybody has to fight for themselves. Everybody does work that makes this place go. So what I'm seeing uh, in January, 
uh, people I know, uh, people I talk to, the the cliche of quiet lives of desperation. Mm. I'm seeing people quietly seething, quietly melting away, breaking down, either mm. getting violent, and you find out, you know, you find out this friend was just arrested. Really, he was arrested for that. Mm. He seems like such a calm person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that stems from not having class consciousness. I think I, there's. It I does. Think, it stems from also not having an analysis of what is happening. Right. Just the whole debacle that it took fifteen elections to try to get a speaker of the house. There's never been more than one in history that we had a president who was obviously defeated. It was confirmed by all these courts. He refused to step down. This, they're not working either. We have a confirmed, established liar who they don't even, Santos, who they don't even uh, kick out of Congress. How could you believe that these are our lawmakers when this guy has broken the law a hundred times and he's wanted for fraud in Brazil? That all these things you held on to that made the world coherent in America. They're breaking. And if people don't have class consciousness and realize, hey, we better get together and cheer on the unions and so on, they break down. Right. And I think Joe Biden symbolizes the the death of the empire and the death of the American dream. He's moving by rote. He's just reciting the lines. That's he can barely get it. You know, that's not who we are. And we're a good people and we don't lie and we take care of one. And he, it, it sounds so hollow coming out of him because it is. It's, it's not platitudes. who we are. It's yeah. not analysis of what's actually going on. It's platitudes that are supposed to cover what's going on. You know, the whole business... We are the country of democracy. How dare they invade? Hello, honey. We invaded Vietnam and we invaded Iraq and we invaded Afghanistan. How could they do that? It's 1,200 miles of border that they have. Whoa. And we knew it because it was established through our diplomacy that Russia has a red line. You can't annex our border country of 1,200 miles into NATO against us. Right. But they needed that. And he's, right. he coats everything in these hollow democratic phrases that really just, it's like he opens his mouth. There's truth decay right there. Right, right. By the way, I think with Vietnam, they held elections in, what, 54, I don't know, the year. And the Vietnamese said, we'll go with Ho Chi Minh. And the Democrats said, uh, rigged election. It was fraud. <laughs> It was like Carrie Lake and yeah, Donald Trump. Carrie Lake and Donald Trump. These, these elections, though. Or in uh, in the Gaza, uh, we're going to hold elections. Hamas wins in America. Yeah. It was a fraudulent election, does it? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and so that it, it no longer rings true. Yeah. You yeah. know, that this mental world in Prévert, the poet's world, the poet's words lies monumentally. Right. And so going back to inflation, you have Jerome Powell, who's the Fed chair appointed by Donald Trump and Biden reappointed him, even though Jerome Powell. 
was doing insider trading. He was the head of the head of the economy, essentially, yeah. was trading stocks mm -hmm. based on inside information, perfectly legal. He gave a speech last week, I think it was in Switzerland, where he said, we're not going to get involved with the environment. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Raskin's wife, Biden wanted to appoint uh, Jamie Raskin's wife uh, to the Federal Reserve, but they they rejected her. The Republicans and Manchin rejected her because she said the Federal Reserve cannot fix interest rates. They can't tinker with the economy without taking into consideration climate change. Right. It, climate change is a, an enormous liability. Yes. Uh, to our economy. And so we have to push the banks away from investing in fossil fuels. She was rejected. And Jerome Powell says, yes, we can't take a political position. He reduced <laughs> climate change, climate disaster to a political stance. Well, if you do that, then you're an effing Republican. So Jerome Powell right. is a Republican. Is one. Yeah. And Biden hasn't replaced him, just like he hasn't replaced the head of the Postal Service, who is hostile to that. Yeah. To joy. Yeah. Service that has the biggest unionized workforce in the nation and a progressive one. No, that Biden is so compromised. I think of seeing him not believing Anita Hill, which allowed Clarence Thomas to be where he is. Biden's right. never been a progressive. Never. Right. And what he did with the railroad workers is appalling. They can't have one day off. Right. How bad would it have been if the railway workers shut down the economy? It would have been a good idea because just as the I nurses agree. were shutting down the hospital for four days and they couldn't function, they then gave in. Right. They could have given them a week's worth of sick days, for heaven's sakes. It's of amazing. We're looking at the debt ceiling and the Republicans are salivating over the prospect of shutting down the government. Right. Why can't the left? Why aren't there 20 Democrats who are willing to shut down the government unless we get Medicare for all? Why don't we have a, a, a railway? I guess there are 12 railway unions. Why don't we have union leaders who are willing to shut down the economy unless workers get their way. Well, that's as people get more militant, it's happening. The squad is expanding. They're starting a whole progressive caucus. But for a long time, labor went along with the Democrats and got a little share. And now they're getting no share. Now they're getting cut to ribbons. And it started with the anti-communism of the 50s, where Murray, convinced by the Catholic Church, went along with the anti-communist, anti-left, anti-socialist agenda, and they threw all the progressive people, all the lefties out of the unions, and then they could gut the unions easily. They were the spark in the unions. They were right. people who had class consciousness. And now those unions that are vital are often organizing outside of the AFL, whether it's the Amazon Labor Union or Starbucks or Pete's or any of the others. Right. And even Sarah Nelson, head of the um, flight attendants union, suggests to people, if you want to get organized, don't go with the AFL, make an independent union. Right. You know, everything is changing. 
because the old things have collapsed and the old dream can't be fulfilled the old way. Right. It's scary. Also, the people who are making the laws are lawbreakers. Marjorie Taylor Greene said that if it had been for her or she and Bannon's invasion, they would have had weapons and they would have won. Right. Well, you know, they deported and jailed tens of thousands of communists because they believe that communism itself advocates violent overthrow of the government, which is not necessarily so. There may have been some who did that, but, you know, whereas these people are advocating treason and nothing is done. And so there's a sense that if the lawmakers are all breaking the law, what are we going to do? It's not holding together anymore. Right. And what is holding together is class consciousness. Right. If you, my advice to my listeners has always been, add up everything you have, all your assets, check your credit card statement. What do you owe? If you owe more than you have, (laughs) stop identifying with the bosses. Right. Can you can you do that? See, this is a tough thing to ask for of you Americans. Can't do it alone. You have to do it as part of a group so that they can't pick you off. Right. But what and I'm saying Americans is it's, are it's, joining now. Because we've been brainwashed, it mm-hmm. is very hard for college educated Americans or any Americans, but especially college educated Americans to add up everything they owe and everything they own and look at the balance and say, you are on the scale. This is where you are. You're not part of the 1%. You're not even, you're not even part of the 10%. Right. You may not even be part of the 20% with all your degrees and the languages you speak and the books you read, can you accept that you are not part of the top 15%? Right. Well, they have always identified with the top. It's been a kind of suck up, kick down energy here. Right. But we have to face who we are, where we are, and that we need each other to change. Yeah. People would rather identify yeah it's 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 humiliating it is most americans to to look at where they are financially yeah no i remember during the civil rights movement there was a speaker evangeline boynton who was a black minister and she said we have to unite the haves with the think they have the (laughs) nots with the think they haves and then we could win the think they, I love that. Yes. I love that. The think they have. Have oh, that's great. think they have. Right. Wow. And what year was this goes back when? Oh, that was in the, in the late 60s in the civil rights movement. Wow. It's, it, things never change. No, but they have gotten in. What has changed is it used to be that black people were disenfranchised. And first to be fired, last to be hired, and poorer. Now it's everyone. Right. Now the the most workers are in terrible jobs on the clock. Right. Most Americans work 
for fast food, Walmart, call centers, or Amazon, and are paid badly and driven like robots. Mm -hmm. So what has happened is what we used to do to minorities and women is now everybody who isn't rich. And those think they have have got to make an adjustment. They don't have. Right. Right. Amazing. It amazing. is amazing. It's a big I, change. Dr. Harriet Fraud is the host of uh, It's Not Just in Your Head. It's one of the hosts with yeah, one of the hosts. Nicole Heroi and also Liam Tate and Harriet Fraud. It's not just in your head. And just me, Capitalism Hits Home with Democracy at Work as the sponsor. Right. And what are you reading? Oh, uh, right now I'm reading Spare, which is. And isn't it's beautifully written, isn't it? He had a great ghostwriter. Yes. And it's also amazing. It's perfect for America because on the one hand, he is a vulnerable, sensitive guy who had too much real emotion to fit in with the royal family. On the other hand, he grew up with this vast wealth blood drenched with the millions that the monarchy killed. Right. And they were his mummy and granny. And, and he has no, he can see through the emotional horror and coldness of the royal family, but he can't see that they're walking around in, on blood-drenched estates. Right. The context. It's so interesting. The realness of this emotion and the class consciously blindness of the monarchy. And and so you're saying, because I, I read the sample of the book. I haven't read it. I haven't pressed the buy button yet uh, <laughs> on my reader. But uh, as I was reading, I'm thinking this ghostwriter, I was reading about the ghostwriter, George Clooney recommended him. I guess George Clooney did made a movie out of the ghostwriter's memoir it's like Mont- yeah. I can't, uh, I don't uh, as i'm reading the sample i'm reading this i'm going this is so beautifully it's beautifully written and also yeah. he's a beautiful sweetie yeah i saw him you know on television and he was so open and vulnerable and honest and appealing right and he managed to escape the deep freeze of the royal family's emotions and be a human. Right. And that is remarkable and moving. But what's also remarkable to me is as he describes, you know, seeing Granny in the Jubilee riding in a solid gold carriage and so on, he doesn't see that as he goes from one state to the other, this $28 billion that the royal family has was all, first of all, taken from the every year more miserable British people, but also colonial death and destruction and wealth extraction. It's so interesting. I'm sure other people don't get that. They just get his sweetness and that he comes from really terribly emotionally repressed people who vent their emotions through their symbiotic relationship with the tabloids. So if they're angry at each other, they leak it to the tabloids yeah. who are vicious. I mean, it's really sick. It, it really is sick. As my mother would have said, what choice did he have? 
He made the right choice, though. He is his mother. He's his mother's son. He did the he did the right thing. I don't why explain to me why people are so uh, offended by him. What is it? How can you not love him? Well, I think they're offended by the same things we love. He's humble. He's vulnerable. He doesn't pretend. And he saw the difference between the real love that his mother gave him and the opportunist coldness in that family. There's one point where his father's looking bad since he used Diana as a breeder. There's a (laughs) sentence where he says the Charles, now King Charles, says to Diana as she holds baby Harry, well, you've given me an heir and a spare before he leaves to see his girlfriend. Right, right. And uh, that kind of coldness. And then later his father colludes with the tabloids to say that Harry is a drug addict so that he can present himself as the distraught father and a single father with a drug addicted son when Harry isn't an addict. And it just makes him look good. Right, right. It's so sick. I guess they're different offices within the royal family and they're all competing against each other to get stuff into the tabloids. And I guess he got screwed because he had the same publicist as his brother and his own publicist was working against him. I'm so glad you're reading Spare. Uh, Now I'm going to go. I'm going to buy it. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. Good. Good. Dr. Harriet, we love you. You're great. I love Doctor, you, yeah. and I'm so glad you're back. Yay! Yeah. Yay! Fantastic. <laughs> How do people contact you? hfraud at gmail.com, and that's h-f-r-a-a-d at gmail.com, or my website, harrietfraud.com. Easy ones. And you are a, a therapist, and people... I am a, a psychotherapist, and I'm a hypnotherapist. And I'm a nice lady. I feel better already. <laughs> I was, I was in, I'm telling you, I was in such a rage before. Uh, yeah, well, you deserve to be angry because this is so sad what's going on, but we'll rescue it. We will. We will. I am, what do they call that? Um, eternal says, eternal pessimism, optimism. Yes, pessimism of the intellect optimism of the will, but I think optimism of the hope and soul, the heart and soul. That's important. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. In two weeks, I'll see you again. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Professor Mike Steinel joins us. He is the author of Saving Charlie Parker. Go buy this. It has the Feldman guarantee. If this book doesn't amuse and delight, let me know, and I will give you a refund. Go purchase Saving Charlie Parker by Professor Mike Steinel. And how can people buy this book? Anywhere that you buy your books, but I would suggest your local bookstore have them ordered. It'll come to their store probably just as quickly uh, as it would come to your door um, if you did uh, The Evil Giant. Amazon, but also um, 
Dorrance Books, you can get it that way. Um, Barnes and Noble, all those, anywhere where you buy fine books. I'm not saying the book is fine, but <laughs> it'd be fine if you bought it. <laughs> I'd be fine with it as you buy so it. So fine. It would be so, so fine. Yeah. Yeah. And good to see you, David. So we were talking about awards and you're saying that my show needs to win some awards and you've manufactured some awards for me. I've eaten award when I was not a vegan. I would be traveling around the country and I would eat award winning chicken. The menu would say award winning chicken. Doesn't say what award, though, does it? And you did, know, like, they, did the chicken win the award or did the chef win the award? They never specified. <laughs> you know, people don't notice stuff like the, the I love the majority report. This is a five time award winning show, you know, but you don't know what award. I had mm-hmm. a friend uh, used to teach uh, summer camps with him with children, you know, <laughs> and right. he liked he was a guy who played like in the evenings most of his life. And then the summer came and and he was used to having, you know, like a a beer after lunch. And so uh, he he had this aluminum. No, it was a it was a metallic wrap that went around his beer can. Right. <laughs> and and it's it looked like Dr. Pepper. I said, are you are you drinking? And they says and then he shows me, takes his hand off and it said, Dr. Pecker. <laughs> <laughs> so what well, you need, yeah. <laughs> you need to get not a Peabody, but maybe a a Peapotty Award, a Peapotty Award, a Peapotty. And if you say it quick, we've been nominated. Oh, and by the way, don't I wouldn't suggest that you set, won the award, but that you've been nominated because, you know, I just went through this, this uh, Grammy thing, you know, of trying to trying to get nominated. And I'm 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 impressed that anybody gets the amount of work you have to do to get nominated first to make a product and then to push it. Um for a little bit of time there, and we, we when uh, saving saving Charlie Parker, which is multimedia, it's a audio CD, it's a auto, uh, you know, um, um, what do you call it, um, audio book, and and a, a print novel. Anyway, for just a little bit of time, I hired somebody to to do the public relations. So I had people, you know, I had people, David, just for a little bit, for a couple of weeks. And did the people the, help? Did they help you? I don't think so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, so I'm thinking that I could say, yeah, we got a Grimmy nomination, you know, and just say it real quick. A Grimmy. Yeah. A Grimmy. Grimmy. And, yeah. yeah we're, Grimmy. we're up for a Grimmy. <laughs> I'm up for an Ami. Yeah. And yeah. An Oscar. An Oscar. Yeah. An Oscar. And, a, and maybe a Publitzer. How about a, that? A Publitzer. Yeah. Publitzer. And a yeah. Peapotty. And a Peapotty. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like Peabody awards. <laughs> yeah, you say it quick enough, nobody notices. Did you did you get that the uh, the song I sent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there on Pico Drive when I used to live in L.A. And I don't know if this store is there. There's an awards store. Where mm. You go in and you can just have awards made. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for little league teams, or it's for yeah. I have a couple of those. Yeah, employee of the month. And at the time, I was thinking I should just invent awards and put them on my desk. Why not, David? I think half of that, when you open up the quotes about movies, they say most, you know, like and you hear like, oh, this is 
um, TV Today says this. Well, what is that? You know, they have these all these right. quotes. And, and I actually have been approached by a person who does that. He doesn't he is a reviewer for magazines, but he will write a review and then it'll come from you can say it's from his. OK, so can I get can I confess something to you? Yes, please. OK, before there were Russian trolls. And fake news. In 2003. 2002, I built three websites. I built the Chicago Herald Times. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And I built the the Jersey City Tribune and Gazette. And there was one other one that I built. And I, I it just looked like this was early in the aughts when newspapers were just transitioning to the. Right. Internet. Right. And I paid a guy to make it look like a real newspaper. And it looked like a real newspaper. And, and at the time, you could put in these little uh, widgets like the stock market that would update by itself. The weather, oh, yeah. it would update by itself. And it, the thing was popping and it looked. And uh, the idea was to spread rumors about George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. So this was I early I, I I could have been Roger Stone if you know and if you, I, if you had the stones if I had the stones <laughs> so I built these websites and it just my comedy friends just wrote for it and it turned into pornography it really like they all wrote stuff <laughs> and eventually I had to take it it was just the they all wrote did, did you I, take them did you take them down I took them down yeah oh jeez because I'm thinking. You need to have like somebody reviewing Saving Charlie Parker on those. Well, that was the other. So I said to some friends, I will give you if you write a review of something, I will put it up there. And you can say the Chicago Sun Herald Tribune Gazette. <laughs> One person did it. One person did it. One person wrote the review of their own thing. Of their own thing. And I posted it. And I thought this is this just doesn't feel right. This was like 2002. 2000. Oh, man. And I thought and I just took the newspapers down. Uh, but I, but I, early on, I saw the potential of using the Internet to undermine, you know, spread yeah, gossip yeah. and rumors. And uh, I was way ahead of my time. I wonder how much of, you know, the reviews and it's, it's kind of a known fact that some people that are pretty famous have had have paid the reviewers to write great reviews. You know, <clears throat> they're not or, or I'm not sure if you can say that, but they're in they're part of their entourage or part of their business model, you know, and then, I'm you know, conflicts of interest must just abound in the in the music business and the in arts and movies and anyway yeah. but i think a publitzer a publitzer and a peapotty 
is in your future. We already I already gave you the uh, <laughs> Robert L. Murrow. What was was the moron? The Robert L. What was his name? Oh, Robert the Edward L. R. Edward, Edward R. Murrow. <laughs> Lord, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. the plaque in there. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I've I've been searching all day to, just to make sure I don't have any secret documents in my possession that could you know come back to haunt me. Well, you do. You were given some classified. You you a lot of people don't know that Professor Mike Steinel traveled throughout Europe uh, for the CIA <laughs> as as both a spy. This is your next novel. This is your next. Oh, novel. this is good. Oh. So, sort of like I spy. They were they were tennis pros who were spies. But this could be this guy could be a jazz guy who's not really quite that good, but he's in place right. with a really great group. Yeah, that's a great idea. Or Travel maybe they stuff. give him maybe they give him a saxophone or a trumpet. The CIA gives him a trumpet that is amazing. It's like the special trumpet that they think he's a lot better than he actually is, but he he can't play the trumpet. It's just he's, the CIA gave him a this top secret trumpet that sounds amazing. Sounds great. <laughs> That's a stretch. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you can. I don't know if I could buy that, but I like the other because a lot of. I've run into a few people. Who've traveled a lot and don't seem worried about money. And are in a business like this jazz. I've run into one person, and the rumor is, oh yeah, he's CIA. Mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. he's over in uh, India, and then he's over in Thailand, and then he's over in you know, and uh, I, tra I travel around a lot. Right. Hey, have I you sent you. I sent you. Go ahead. Have you ever have you ever told somebody you were CIA? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> How many people say to a woman, uh, I I'm with the CIA and I can't I'm going away or the mafia. My dad's first name was Conrad. Everybody called him Connie. And he was a band director. He was a teacher at our school. And I can't remember that there was a kid down the street and I was. He was kind of impressionable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, I they had me over for it was it was a hard luck family. It was a single uh, uh, father. And I remember they had chili and it was just so bleak. I, you know, they were very poor. We were we weren't we were teachers family. So we didn't have anything to <clears throat> write home about. But they were really struggling. But anyway, I had chili. And I remember I told him, yeah, my dad, his name is Conrad. He's a spy. He's a German spy. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid came up to my dad in school. Mr. Steineller, are you a German spy? Like my, <laughs> my dad was upset. <laughs> How old were you at the time? OK, I should have been third, fourth grade. We left in fourth grade. Might have been fourth grade. Yeah. Right. And what did they call your dad? Connie. He That's was Connie. Interesting. That's interesting. My uncle Mort was called Connie on Saturday nights. I called him Connie. He'd go That's to this good. place. Would, they would call him Connie there. Here comes Connie. Here comes Connie. That's, that's yeah. good, David. Yeah, he would shave his legs. I remember before he left, he'd shave his legs. And, oh, man. Know. So Ants in the Kitchen is... Yeah, this new album's coming out. I don't yeah. know when. We've got it. We've got new tunes. And... Uh, 
you know, all the time we were kind of pushing um, Saving Charlie Parker, we were also recording. Um, there's a couple of uh, one guy in particular, Pat Cole, who's a brilliant accompanist. He was in town to play with the band. So I said, well, we got to record while you're here. So we got I think we got nine more tunes. And this is one that went particularly well. It's a it's a rough mix. And actually, there's a spot where there a solo will is yet to be placed there, an organ solo. But we ran out of time in the studio. But it, it this thing has such a great feel. I think I think your listeners will enjoy. Can I tell you about a couple of gigs coming up? Yes, please. Of course. Yeah. OK, I'm going to Tulsa on Wednesday. I'm going to do uh, I'm going to conduct an all state jazz orchestra at uh, wow. the, the Doubletree on Saturday. Uh, you can check the schedule. It's open to the public. Great high school kids playing Great. my music. Great. And then, You're uh, playing your music. Yeah, it's all my arrangements. We're doing all my wow. music. I do. You know, and then over the, you know, in, in December. Well, when I, you say I, all my music, like what what songs will we, we hear? Uh, um, Beetle Junction Breakdown, which is on the song and dance. Right. Uh, Mont Montañas de Estrellas. I don't say that right. Mountains, Mountain of Stars. It's a piece that was commissioned a couple, a couple years ago. Um, a piece called Samba de los Gatos, which is popular with high school bands. Um, uh, um, just a minor thing, which is another uh, one that's pretty good. High school bands. Uh, oh, I, I run a new one called uh, Blues for Big Heart. Blues for Big Heart. And uh, we what took a little. What is that about? Who is Big Heart? Well, you know, you can take it what to mean what you want. But I'm going. I wrote this just for this thing up in Oklahoma, because on one of our trips, we go back and forth between Texas and Kansas a lot because we have a house up there. So one time, just so tired of I-35. My wife and I, we said, we're going to take a blue highway. You know, we'll go on the little highways and see some, you know, go through the little towns and everything took forever. But my wife is looking at the map on her phone. She says, oh, here's a town called Big Heart, Big Heart, Oklahoma. We got to go to Big Heart. <laughs> and we barely found it. It's just a it was just an elevator, basically, and a crossroads. There might have been some people that lived there at one time. But there was a sign. Here's Big Heart, Oklahoma. I don't even think most people in Oklahoma know where it's at. Right. But anyway, I wrote this tune for that. And so and, how do we plug the gig again? So tell us the date and where it's going to be and what. OK. Time. Uh, OK. Um, 18. Saturday. It's this Saturday. What day would that be? What are we today? 16. This would be 15. We're 15. We're 16. Oh, I think it's the 16th. So 18, 19, 20, 21. Saturday, the 21st at the Doubletree in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Going back to Tulsa. I might have some time to go see the uh, Bob Dylan Museum, too. I got a little downtime. I want to do that. It's and, in Tulsa? Uh, yeah. The guy, this wealthy guy bought all, you know, like spent half a billion dollars i think he's to get all the like his notebooks and everything that was all on sale and uh you can see i'm not sure about the amount but uh they have it's a, they built a building it's very modern and they have a staff and they've had um you know what do you call it conferences and where people come in and discuss bob dylan's music um Is then it, and, and has he uh, appeared there has he I, I, he played in Tulsa. I didn't even go to his museum. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. He's kind of, you know, I don't know how he feels about that stuff. Um, 
Then I'm going uh, February two, three, four. I'm going to be in uh, South Carolina, Columbia, doing a playing with a big band on the Friday night, first Friday, and and then running a student combo on Saturday, and then and then on Sunday I'm playing with the faculty of uh, USC University of South South Carolina. We're playing. We're playing at the convention hotel. We're playing like a jazz brunch. And then I come home and then April. Go ahead. I want to come down and see this. I can't think of anything more enjoyable than watching you do that. I need to book a gig in New York. Can you can you set me up? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I rent town hall or something. Yeah. Or that what the the why? What's the that? That's probably the the 92nd. Why? 92nd Street. Why? That's a good venue, isn't it? That's a great venue. What we need to do is make this show more successful. So we can be like a traveling show. okay, and make lots of money. I was telling the professors. If we just get some awards, we'll be set. Yes. A Grimmy nominated a Feldy and a Grimmy nominated Mike Steinel. Grimmy. I I said to the professors and Marianne that my fantasy is we're a traveling show like every Saturday night. It's the professors and Marianne and you come out and do some music and and we all learn to hate one another. But, but how long I asked, how long would it take if every Saturday night we were out playing colleges, doing some iteration of the, the show in front of a live audience and making enough money to justify traveling? At what point would we only talk to each other <laughs> on stage? <laughs> on stage. Somebody said sooner than you think. No, no, not with the people that you have on there. That, that's now but, if you had now, I'm not sure that if you had a couple of interlopers, you know, like if you put Liam in the mix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we would start off. He was great last week. I was, I was so happy. Yeah. I think you and he, you and he, because you guys just talk and mm-hmm. it just kind of goes, you know, like and there's no agenda. And uh, and it, it was really it was really good. I'm you know, I, I don't think he would be it. Uh, he would be an interesting uh, <clears throat> he would be a good a spoon that stirs the broth, you know, stick yeah. that's, you know, he would uh, he would stir it up. That's for sure. Yeah. He'd yeah. probably talk about my music sounding like Steely Dan. That would start. Yeah, he doesn't know? like Steely Dan. No, he doesn't like Steely Dan. People getting along, people getting along. How do bands, quartets get along? Has, has, has there ever been a band? I mean, the Beatles. The There's Be- a you couple of the Beatles. Yeah. It's all about love. And I and I often think, like, how could kids, they were in their 20s, write these songs that are so enlightened about love. And then you realize by 1969, they hated each other. You look at the Get Back documentary and they can like Yoko is there holding John throughout the recording session so he doesn't kill Paul. You know, everybody yeah. says Yoko broke up the Beatles. You watch Get Back, the documentary, realize, no, there wouldn't have been a, a 1968, there wouldn't have been Abbey Road or Let It Be uh, right. had it not been for Yoko sitting there keeping John from smashing a guitar over Paul McCartney's head. 
Yoko saved the Beatles. Quite possibly. I like that theory. There's one point in there where where John makes fun, like in a goofy voice, makes fun of one of Paul McCartney's songs. Like we do that. You know, like if there's a song that's a hit, somebody would, you know, who doesn't have a hit, <laughs> you know, it, it would maybe ape the song, you know, and, and he does it. And Paul's right there, you know, and I'm thinking, ooh, ouch. That means that's that said a lot to me. Like, so what 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 happened? Did did Steely Dan get along? Do you know of any Steely groups? Dan's only two guys and they did get along. But no, uh, I mean, Fagan went off, uh, you know, went off on his own. Right. And then they had a they came back together and they made him one great album. Then then the guitarist died. Becker died. Yeah. Yeah. Mick but, Jagger had to get Keith Richards addicted to smack so he could control <laughs> him. I was reading the Keith Richards autobiography and it's kind of almost true. If, if the money's right, people will stay together. You know, I, it's interesting. A lot of the bands that have that are still going, it's usually one person who owns the name, you know. That, you know, at some point they, they split up and maybe say, well, I'll, I'll I'll keep the band going or he'll buy out his partners if they were partners. You know, the the arrangements in bands are really, you know, you have like, uh, I think um, the not everybody in the Rolling Stones is a partner. Right. Some people are there. They get paid well, but it took a long time. I think um, uh, I can't remember who finally became a partner just a couple of, i have a good friend who plays uh, saxophone with them and and uh tim reese great player but they went when they played the super bowl the, they were under the stage they're, they're not hidden so it looks just like but when they play live every everywhere else there's, there's a horn section you know anyway what, what do you mean a partner well, like a, uh, yeah yeah you you, you you're you're a principal you know, like you have a cut, you know, as opposed to just being on salary and right. retainer, you know. Um, but a lot of that, you know, so so strange, like there's still a Guy Lombardo band. The guy that owns the Guy Lombardo band lives out here in Argyle, Texas. Every now and then you see the the bus or at least he did for a while. You'd see the bus parked in town. We'd have it worked on or something, you know, and that that's he bought the name and he buys the, the, the arrangements. The, the Glenn Miller band has been passed from it's leased. The estate leases it to people. So there's but, still a Glenn Miller band. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know who is fronting it now, but I saw it a couple just a couple of years ago is a really good trombone player. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of his name now, but um, usually it's fronted by a trombone player. So that he can play the things, Buddy Morrill, Buddy Morrill, and uh, yeah, it's. But I think the the, the bands that you know, like the the Four Freshmen, uh, the Letterman. I, I don't think the Four Freshmen are freshmen anymore. Shouldn't they be seniors <laughs> by now? Well, they're all they're all younger guys now. But someone oh, who see. somebody owns it and 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 they're out there doing their thing. You know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting business. You know, I want to get a review in your uh, what was the name of that? One of those papers, the, the Chicago Cleveland? Times Herald, the, the Cleveland. Review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can make a fake newspaper. Well, let's wrap it up. We'll, we'll end with ants in the kitchen. Ants in the kitchen. Big problem. Let's plug away uh, before we close at this segment. 
Go By, Saving Charlie Parker. It's written by Professor Mike Steinell, and it has the Feldman guarantee. You buy this book, and if it doesn't delight and thrill you, I will reimburse you personally. That's how great this book is. Saving Charlie Parker, a novel. By and an audio book. The audio book has music from the CD. And let's plug uh, to our listeners in Tulsa. How Saturday night. This Saturday night. At the Doubletree. And where yeah, else are you? Where else and then uh, South Carolina. And I don't know. I'll, I'll uh, try to. Maybe I'll be on before uh, I go to uh, South Carolina. Do you like and to then, travel? Do you like to travel? Uh, no, not really. I like. I like getting there. Air travel is I heard what you said today. You know, it's it's pretty brutal air travel anymore. But yeah. well, I got down to I just got back from Orlando. We did a big thing, a really successful concert at the Jazz Educator Network. Big conference with the group of Rosanna Eckert. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, we got in and out of there. OK, you know, but everything's so expensive now The the flight, you know, Uber's gone way up. The food, everything traveling is um, moving a band around. I had talked to a couple of guys who have projects that they're trying to tour. They said it's really rough to, t- yeah. to take a band on tour, you know, so expensive hotels. Let's yeah. play Ants in the Kitchen. Let's play Ants in the Kitchen by Professor Mike Steinell. <laughs> Thank you. 